Mummy, I said, remember you said Daddy can't use his body anymore. Can you tell me again what happened to it? Sinead Deneen. What about if they feel the, the wood? Oh, the dead bodies, is it? Yeah. Sinead is with her youngest boy, Isaac. He's three and a half. And Mummy said, remember the funeral at the crematorium? Yes, I said. She's reading a specialist storybook to him. It's for parents who need to talk to their children about death. And that's because Sinead has ovarian cancer. What are you asking? Can the body feel the, the wood, is it? Yeah. No, because the body is dead, so it doesn't feel anything anymore. And although Sinead's responding to treatment, reading this book is one way of getting the kids used to the fact that she may not be around forever. Hello. Stop. For the princess. That is you. That's me, is it? I'm the princess. Yeah. And it's that full on approach to illness and death that led Sinead to become one half of a partnership that set up this. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to lather you with Vaseline. This is kicking the bucket. I'm going to put a bit of cling film around your hair first. It was a series of seven workshops followed by an exhibition which took place in early 2016 in Limerick. Basically what happens is your body is put into a chamber where it's deep frozen, much the same as chronics. Its focus was dying and death. <laughs> and its emphasis was on the light-hearted. Sinead, you missed that. He's gone tits up. <laughs> I like it. Jack, you might as well go. Despite all our giddiness, we're not doing that in order to divert ourselves from the reality of our lives. We are genuinely having the crack. The other half of the Kicking the Bucket partnership, Katie Verling. In the case of Sinead and myself, we're one of the first generations of people who are living beyond a very, very serious diagnosis. Katie and Sinead were introduced at a party as people with similar experiences. Sinead is an artist, Katie is an arts administrator, but that's not all they had in common. Sinead has cancer and I had cancer. Nine years ago, I had a bad pain in my back and down my leg. And eventually I went out to the hospital one night and at 10 o'clock the following morning, a doctor came in to see me with a team and they pulled the curtains and the doctor sat down beside me and took my hand. I should have known at that stage that when a consultant you've never met before takes your hand, you're f***ed. The doctor told Katie she had leukaemia and the treatment started straight away. And I lost my hair and... I didn't lose any weight at that stage, which I was raging about. I didn't lose any hair off my legs either, which wasn't good. I lost hair everywhere else, but not off my legs. After the chemo, Katie got a bone marrow transplant from her brother, Luke. And that was the reason that I recovered. But back to the party where Katie and Sinead were first introduced. They're standing opposite each other. They've just discovered they both have cancer in common. Surely a time for a bit of mutual sympathy. So I said, what type of cancer do you have to Sinead? Well, I've ovarian cancer, stage four. I said, oh, well, I had leukaemia. And I said, OK, well, your treatment probably wasn't as, as tough as mine was. Well, I said, I'm still in treatment. I'm now in my second year of chemotherapy. I said, yeah, but you probably didn't have to have methotrexate and fethecal. I said, no, I didn't. But I bet you didn't have to have debulking. I said, well, no, I didn't have any operations, but I had to have a transplant, actually. So we started like that. We got a bit giddy. The giddiness went on in Sinead and Katie's misery competition. 
I said, well, then I had to take loads and loads of steroids. Said, well, I take buckets of steroids, actually. So at that stage, we were falling around laughing and I was trying to think, how could I? I said, but then I had C. diff not once, but twice. Mm. So I won on the side effects, but I think she won on the actual chemotherapies. After that, Sinead and Katie kept in contact and became friends. Will I sing you something, Katie? Please. Here goes my baby with somebody new. Do, 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 do. <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> um, I was at the ukulele group last night. Sorry. One day I was out there, we were talking about death and then we began to skit about things and I said, I personally love the idea of mantillas and I love the idea of wearing a black mantilla. You've seen mantillas in old photos. They're the lacy headscarves women and girls used to wear in church. Girls wore white ones, women wore black ones. And when you put on a mantilla, you had to hold your head upright or otherwise it would go skirways. And then holding your hands in a prayerful position, you just felt very holy. And if you could actually put rosary beads around, among your fingers as well, you were very next to God. You were right beside him. So Sinead and I started skitting about this and she pulled out some old black lace she had because she'd been using black lace to make some art pieces about when she had lost her hair, when she'd been going through chemo. So we started putting on these gobbles of pieces of lace and she started taking photographs of me out the back. And we had loads of beads, I had beads on and she got more beads and I had lashings of beads hanging out of me because she could look holier than I could. And that was the kind of beginning of us talking about, wouldn't it be great crack if we had a shop? Just, we do a pop-up shop and we'd get coffins and we would get wreaths and shrouds and people would go in and they could thumb their way through shrouds and the different colours and there was Franciscan shrouds and St Mary's shrouds and Marian shrouds and all that kind of stuff. Then Katie and Sinead heard that the Limerick Hospice, Milford, was offering funding for community projects on death, dying and grief. We proposed to run a number of workshops or classes discussing issues to do with death and dying, but also make things. So we decided to call the project Kicking the Bucket. Katie and Sinead knew what they wanted from Kicking the Bucket. Having dealt with the idea of death and dying themselves, having laughed at it and cried because of it, they wanted to provide a place where others could do the same. But they'd no idea if anyone else felt the same way. They needn't have worried. In early February, a small group of people assembled in the central buildings O'Connell Street, Limerick. They all had had different experiences of grief and death and were keen to talk about it. When I was about three or four years old, I kind of started to have anxiety about death and um, wake up in the middle of the night dreaming about turning into a skeleton or um, I used to sit at my parents' bed and watch them sleeping and they'd wake up and there'd be this pale face staring at them and I'd say, are you going to die or when are you going to die and things like that used to really worry me. It's something that kind of people don't like talking about, but they think about it. And you don't have a lot of opportunities to talk about that in modern Ireland. We actually had a very good experience with Dad right the way through and even up to his burial, where um, he was cremated. We buried the remains out in Changana in Dublin. It was lashing rain, like I mean absolutely coming down cats and dogs. And the priest said we had had a lovely musical funeral about six weeks previous. And the priest said to us, would you sing a song? And we sang Singing in the Rain. 
dancing at his graveside, but actually he would have loved it. My own daughter died in 2003 and a wave of grief will just come up suddenly and I have no control over it. And I feel very sad, I might be tearful and I might need to just retreat for a few hours. Particularly my mother, in those moments where I'm doing something exactly like she did. Christmas time if I'm making stuffing when I have an hour or two and there's no one else and she's with me. So I'm in a reverie in her company. And so I have these moments with her that aren't full of pain. It's like her, she's a companion. You're really welcome to kick in the bucket. Um, Sinead starts off the first workshop. Just in case you've gone to, like, you think you're going to Zumba or downstairs to do um, gospel choir or whatever, you're not. So it's a creative, thought-provoking seminar and we're going to have an exhibition of our work at the end. And I don't even know what we're going to do yet and maybe you don't know what you're going to do. And that's half the excitement, I think, is in that as well. Sinead decides to get everybody working straight away and get people's hands dirty. Maybe take your rings and bracelets or scarves or whatever off first and put them into your pocket because they will end up... Sinead introduces clay. The class are going to make miniature clay coffins, but first they have to work the clay to get rid of air bubbles. It's great, isn't it? That's good. It's our belief from the start that if people are doing things, it opens up conversations. It's much easier to talk about things when you're actually concentrating on your hands, whatever. When I was first diagnosed, I, I made shrouds, coffins, but from wax. One of the first things I started doing was drawing the reproductive sexual organs. Couldn't get that out of my head because I knew I was losing the reproductive organs. And then the thing after that was I was just making coffins galore. So not in clay, but in other things. Yeah, I know. What? Yeah. Coffins galore. Pasta. <laughs> yeah, anything I could get my hands on. Thank you. Week two of kicking the book as workshops. Okay, guys. Um, We've the lovely Jerry Griffin. He's just behind. Jared Griffin is a local Limerick undertaker. But in the old days, when someone died in a house, the neighbours came and they washed the body, and the water was always kept. So the dirty water was kept in, in a, a basin. And when the horse hearse moved away, the water was thrown under their hooves to stamp the devil that was in the water. Katie Verling says that they invited Gerard along because, as well as working towards an art exhibition on the theme of death, they also needed to learn about the practicalities of dying in Ireland. When somebody dies, you suddenly have to make decisions about cremation and coffins. Willows are lovely. The only thing I don't like about them is if they're not properly constructed and if they don't have a frame, they creak like hell. Thanks, Jerry. Any more questions? When a body is cremated, um, it looks like uh, cat litter. How do they get it all to go into the perfectly same grains? The oven at the start is an intense heat, much higher than in this for the second, what is called the second burning. I know that sounds terrible. But the first heat burns off everything that's dry or non-moisture based. Clothing, hair, coffin, inner lining on the coffin, padding, stuffing, all that. That's all burnt off in the first burn and that's sucked away. So the second burning is just the body. Okay? Charred, but just the body. Second burning is about an hour and a half, and it eventually breaks down to a, what you would see at the bottom of a fire after a log fire. 
you'd have bits of logs, as we call them, this size, and maybe that size, and maybe round bits. These are bone that have calcified in the heat. So they're taken out, quite big, lumpy pieces, and they're put into a cremulator. Okay? A cremulator is a machine which, in effect, is a roller. Two rollers, everything is put through the roller, so everything comes out the same size at the far side. So it crushes what's left of the ashified bone. That's why the ashes are of one size, one form, and um, the, you know, a very large rotund man will give you a lot more ashes than a small, small little old lady. You know, you get what you put in. Already, the participants are working on ideas for their artwork that they hope to show at the final exhibition in May. Some of those here are artists and some are not. Ali is an artist and travels to Limerick every week from Dublin for the Kicking the Bucket workshops. I do have a fascination at the moment with this uh, Capsula Monday, you know, the egg formation. Ali has become very, very interested in this Italian form of burial. And the idea of the person being buried in the fetal position. It's effectively to be buried in a kind of an egg-shaped cocoon and to plant a tree nearby in memory of the person who has died. So I've even visited a few graveyards over the last few weeks. I'm more drawn to the trees that are either surrounding or maybe weaving through paths, etc., than I am to the tombstone. Okay. I'm going to put a bit of cling film around your hair first. Sellotape that down. Pauline is interested in the Victorian idea of death masks. These were plaster casts of a corpse's face. The Victorians went into a lot of trouble to actually hold on to the images of people with status by making death masks of them. One of the most famous ones was called Lan Canoe, the young woman who was drowned in the Seine. She was so beautiful that people decided to make a death mask of her. I kind of felt a connection with photography in the sense that a photograph captures a moment and that moment will never be repeated again and it's it's a trace or a legacy, but it's not the real thing. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to lather you with Vaseline. Pauline wants to make masks of her colleagues for the exhibition. This is her making Holly's mask. She puts two straws up Holly's nose and then covers her face with plaster, which sets quite quickly. And have you ever had this done before? Then it's time for the plaster to come off. What I suggest, Holly, to you is that you actually kind of work yourself free yourself rather than me just pulling it off or anything. Yeah. It's like a birthing process where you yeah. were grimacing yeah. and releasing your, your own skin from the mask. People who come to the hospice don't always die. Week three of Kicking the Bucket workshops, March 2016, a visit from another guest speaker. If I cannot sit and talk to my wife about dying, how can we hope to change the dying process throughout the Western world? Frank Murphy is one of the chaplains in Milford Hospice in Limerick. So his job is to be with the dying. And some psychologists will say that we don't live fully until we appreciate almost daily that we are dying. There are many ways to die. Medicine has come so far, you know, that 
we will keep you living beyond maybe the time that you should have went. I remember talking to my mother um, when she was going through her treatment and she was wretchedly sick from chemotherapy, wretchedly sick. And I said to her, Mum, why are you doing this? And she said, I'm doing it for you. No, no, no. And then we, we sorted that and she stopped it. And she had three of the best weeks that she had in many, many years. How you die looks after those who are left behind. What is it? The, the table you set for them is the food they're going to eat from there on in. And that is very true. How we approach our own death is inspirational and helpful, therapeutic to those that are left behind. I've just um, started this fantastic book that's just been published. Week four of Kicking the Bucket workshops on illness, grief, death and dying. Katie has brought in some relevant books for the group to consider. It's called When Breath Becomes Air by a guy called Paul Kananithi, who, um, he was a neurosurgeon who was diagnosed with lung cancer, um, quite advanced, and died. There he was, dead. But he used a quotation at the very beginning, and there's, You that seek what life is in death, now find it air that once was breath. I think that line, when breath becomes air, has incredible resonance. During the break, Moira explains how she's also drawn inspiration from literature, poetry. That shall have no dominion by Dylan Thomas. And there's a line in it, if lovers be lost, love shall not, and death shall have no dominion. And I suppose when we grieve, we don't grieve unless we have loved. And that you cannot truly die because if somebody grieves for you in some small way, be it your lover, your husband, your wife, your friends, you'll have touched somebody's life with love and that's what remains and that will never die. Dolly's our surprise new joiner. There's also a new member of the group, Donna. One of her experiences of death is from 19 years ago when her son Ben died. He was three. He had died after an illness that lasted about a year and a half. Sometime after Ben died, Donna and her husband decided to move house. The prospect of this upset her. Because when I would come home and come into my house, I would feel Ben, my son Ben's presence in the house. And I really liked that. In fact, he died in, in bed between myself and my husband in that house. And then I started to worry that when I moved house, would I be leaving his spirit behind? Or would he know where we were gone? And what if I went, moved into my new house and then I could never feel his presence again and feel, not feel connected to him in the way I did? So Donna wrote to John O'Donoghue, the writer and philosopher, he suggested that she gather together a box of Ben's belongings. And then I get some cotton. And I spread the cotton all over the area where I feel his spirit energy. And he said, and collect his energy in the cotton, fold it up very carefully and place it on top of his belongings in the box. John O'Donoghue suggested they bring the box and the cotton to the new house. And when we got into the house... 
exactly as John had suggested. We chose an area of the house where we were going to take out the cotton and spread Ben's energy into this area of our house, which we decided would be the kitchen again. In, in You know, it's kind of the heart of the home, isn't it? So we, I took out the cotton and I spread all over one huge wall, say the biggest wall in the kitchen. And then myself and my husband proceeded to put up photographs and pictures and bits and pieces that belonged to Ben. It was pretty powerful. I'll never forget it. And the last funeral that I attended was, it was actually uh, an anniversary mass, first anniversary mass. There are three more workshops before the final exhibition at the end of May and the participants are focused on the pieces of art they hope to make for it. Jennifer is thinking about food and funerals. And I can remember my grandmother telling me a story about funeral biscuits, which were given to mourners at the end of funerals. And she would have been from northern New England. She would have been from New Hampshire. And so I started doing, you know, I've done a little bit of research in the past around food and funerals. But funeral biscuits were a thing in the Victorian era. And they were given to people often, um, if you were really wealthy, with kind of a printout of the person saying in memory, you know, thank you for attending the services of, you know, this happens to be Sister Pauline Stritch. So I'd really like to make funeral cookies. Yes. yes. Oh, hands up, who wants Jennifer to make funeral yeah. cookies? <laughs> While Jennifer is thinking about funeral cookies for her exhibition piece, Sinead is thinking of her own coffin for hers. And my piece is going to be the prototype for my ritual when I die. She has cancer, so talk of funerals is very real for her. So I have Pat's making a lovely coffin for me. And if you listen to this exchange, it's a good example of how really unsettling many of the conversations at Kicking the Bucket are. (laughs) They move back and forth, constantly, between the distressing and the flippant. And because I've two little children and I'm very concerned, I suppose, about leaving them sooner than I would like to leave them, obviously, um, I want a kind of uh, a ritual of memory and... Um, uh, Sinead okay. goes on to say that she wants to surround the coffin with luggage tags, the kind of tag you see on the big toe of a corpse in a morgue. You know, or some, some memory, maybe. And she wants mourners at the funeral to write memories of her on those tags. Then I want these things to be put into a jar for my children and my grandchildren and great-grandchildren. So I have to do it yet. Can we tether so, just those, those little labels? Can we tether them on your big toe? <laughs> Pat's piece for the exhibition is prompted by this sports memory in audio. Peter O'Sullivan commentating on Dawn Run's victory in Cheltenham in 1986. With my mother, when she died, she had a fierce love of horses and studying the farm. She didn't gamble, but she would watch horse racing religiously. Now I found it utterly boring, and I still can't watch it. But there's a race, and they play it every year, come Cheltenham, of Dawn Run winning the Gold Cup, and I cannot listen to it. It just... I just think of her straight away. 
I, I kind of avoid it, you know, but at the same time, it's very powerful. So to capture that memory of his mother, Pat is going to work on some paintings for the exhibition with an equine theme. Week five of Kicking the Bucket workshops. This week, the session has moved to the Limerick School of Art and Design, where the local hospice is hosting a conference entitled Death by Design. Katie and Sinead have been invited to speak on the topic of compassion. Where does compassion come in, say, for us, myself and Katie? And we were thinking that the most normal way that we reckon, and we do it sometimes intuitively, it starts by sitting down, putting the kettle on and looking somebody right in the eye and seeing, you know, saying, you know, how are you? And, and I can see you're upset and then go from there. So, for example, if you don't come and see me when I'm sick and I think you meaner, I have to be compassionate about the fact that actually you're not a meaner and I mean, I'm joking about this, but there have, there have been people in my family I want to stab because they haven't come to see me. And then I realise, actually, they're afraid. So I have to develop, and this is just a very recent lesson, okay, so I think 24 hours old, and it started yesterday, so I'm only learning it. I'm a debutante at this. I'm having to learn that I've got to be compassionate towards people who can't handle my illness. We think that compassion should be literally on the street, in the classroom, in the workplace and in our homes. We think that by making art it is an ideal situation to get talking about more difficult topics. And that's it, we're done. Thank you for listening. Katie and Sinead set up the series of Kicking the Bucket workshops because both have experience with cancer. While the series is running, both still have their health issues to deal with. Sinead, who has ovarian cancer, has to visit her oncologist regularly and these visits make her and her family anxious. Sometimes if I can't talk, Damien will say, oh, mummy's feeling very upset, she's got to go to see the doctor tomorrow. And if they pick up on that cue, then we talk more about it. And if they don't, um, we leave it at that. But inevitably, the smallest of them, Isaac, will come up and he'll start crying because I'm crying. So he'll respond in that way and then I end up obviously consoling him and telling him that, you know, everything is going to be OK. And sometimes he asks difficult questions like, will I die and, and will he die? And the answer has to be inevitably yes, that we all die. That can be quite a difficult one. And although Katie recovered from cancer nine years ago, she was recently taken into hospital. I wake up very early one morning with a very bad pain in my chest and transpires, I have double pneumonia and I'm very ill. And um, this wasn't supposed to happen at all. Sinead is the one who's supposed to be getting sick, not me. Um, I was all prepared for Sinead getting sick. I'd reassured her all along the way. There'd be no problem. She got sick. I could continue things and I would be in contact with her all the time. We had never worked out a plan for me getting sick. Even though Katie's over the cancer, she was left debilitated and unable to work full time. This she finds hard to deal with. When Sinead comes to visit her in hospital, this is how Katie reacts to the chance that she might miss some of the kicking the bucket sessions. I, I mean, my, I don't think my health is in any serious jeopardy. But for the first time in a very, very long time, 
I'm doing something that is so valuable to my sense of well-being. It's the most valuable thing I've done ever. And I want to do it. Okay. Okay. I'm with you then. I'm totally with you. Thank you. I was really, really, really upset about being sick. And because I had realised over the previous two months that I suddenly had a pep in my step and I had a reason for living and I was doing something I was really excited about. When I stopped working because of my ill health, all it did was provoke my sense of worthlessness. I was no longer even contributing to society. I was no longer earning and I was a drain on society. So how can I give back and how can I be of value? Katie was discharged from hospital and only missed two of the Kicking the Bucket sessions. How's it going? Good, how are you? Good. Sinead is with her oncologist, Seamus O'Reilly, for her latest visit. She's holding her breath. So your, your scan is good, so these two areas are, are, are the same, I mean, it's, which is fine, it's great news. Is, that this, is it pretty much the same results from six months ago? Yeah. And then nine months ago before yeah. that as well? so it's stable. Wow, yeah. I'm a bit shocked. Every time I come here, I kind of expect to to hear the the negative news, really. Yes, about going back, needing to go back. Yeah. If you were scanning again, I would say October, November. Really? Yeah. Wow. I get another six months without a scan. Great. November we scan. Great. Kicking the Bucket Workshops Week 6. The participants are working away on their art pieces for the exhibition, all the while keeping up their discussion on death and dying. Tonight, the chat is about headstones. You know, the, the gravestone had this epithet and it was, I forget the name of the woman now, but here lies and the woman's name and underneath, oh yes, it was a spinster and she gave to worms what she refused to men. It's brilliant. Or there was one on Facebook recently. Did you see that one? What was the phrase there? So the mum refused to give the, the, cookie, the cookie recipe, recipe to, to over my dead body. And then the son or daughter wrote the actual recipe, cookie recipe on the back of the gravestone of the mum. And she all her life had refused to share the recipe. There's a gravestone very near a grave that I visit. And it's not really funny. Well, it depends on your sense of humour. But written across the bottom of the gravestone is, you were right, Dad, they were all only assholes. Now, my mother is very offended when she goes to visit our grave near it. But other people think this is hilarious because they say it sums up the man who was buried there. The participants are invited to talk to the group about the art they're working on. I lost a baby and I find that... Um, Margaret is working on an audio piece about a journey she took years ago to County Clare. She and her husband were going to bury their stillborn infant. One of the flowers that was around at that time was foxgloves fox in the hedgerow. So every June when I see foxgloves appear, it kind of connects me in some way. And, and I suppose at some level I have a sort of unformed belief that in some way the spirit went into, into nature. In speaking to others about my pain in the most real way that I could. Some of Margaret's audio, which will be available on headphones at the exhibition. 
For 13 years, in some way, I had held myself responsible for the death of my son. My body had failed me. I had failed to carry out the most natural of female functions, and the only way to dissociate from my body was to pretend I had forgotten. The stillness that surrounded the birth of my baby, Emmett, was devoid of connection, of love, of God. I realized in self-attack I had silenced myself. Kicking the Bucket Workshop Week 7 The last session and the exhibition is looming. Some of the discussion now is about who to invite to the opening of the exhibition. I think it'd be quite important to make sure that we get a representation from each age group, that it isn't for our dying friends or our old <laughs> friends, people we decide are close to death. But, you know, this talk of lollipops and crayons for the children and Sinead, who has two young sons, is very aware of the need to include children in the conversation about death. So much so that a year ago she bought 13 minnows for her sons. I asked the guy in the pet shop, you know, how long do these fellas have to live? And he said, not over two years. And I went, grand, I'll take those fellas. So it means that we'd have... 13 potential deaths and 13 potential discussions, rituals, etc. So only two feckers have died. I'm, yeah, oh yeah, number 13 is actually in the bowl. I'm looking for the photograph here and it's RIP 13. This is the day before number 12 died. As you can see, we're very original with the naming of our minnows and they're all Mr. Number 13, 10, or whatever. But... Um, yeah, I was really bought in anticipation so that they would actually dialogue about death in their own way and kind of slightly formally with us as well. So number one um, had a, a water ritual, which was the toilet. Number two then buried in the ground with a coffin and a crossbow. Um, and number three were thinking cremation. We might bring them into them. They might actually make a very good part of the exhibition, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah. Will, ha- will you ask the boys if they could? They would be willing. Yeah, to part with the minnows. Just for a week, them. and we yeah. will look after them. Yeah. Sounds they all don't die. That's what I just said. It's okay. It's part. It's part of us. You know, we'll deal with that when it comes to us. Kicking the bucket. The final session. The exhibition itself. It's exciting to see it all actually beginning to come together, finally. One of Sinead's coffins is hanging up outside the entrance. It's covered in beautiful fabrics and the whole coffin has plastic coloury flowers all around and a very weird thing to see on the street. The coffin outside is attracting comments from Limerick passers-by. Two young girls were passing here a while ago. One looked up and she goes, hey, look at that. And the, the other one just says, yeah, at their Church of Ireland. Just inside the door, Moira has tiny skeletons dancing to the Bee Gees. Her idea is that we dance around the subject of death. Yeah, about eight inches long, the egg itself. Ali has her Italian egg-shaped coffin. The idea here is a burial pod. It could either be ashes or else a person's remains. 
Pauline has the plaster masks of the participants. Pat has his paintings with horses in them. Jennifer's death cookies are in an old tureen. Ruth has paintings which are placed at the right height for children. Margaret has a comfortable armchair and headphones for her audio piece. Holly has mementos of her father, including a packet of Hamlet cigars and a photo from the day Daniel O'Donnell came to visit the nursing home. And Donna has a glass box containing things belonging to her son who died as a toddler. Did you have any misgivings at all about bringing these out in public? Well, I, I didn't think I would. Donna's husband, Kurt, is standing looking at the box. He was unsure about putting the little shoes and toys on display. I had a bit of a wobbly about this. And, and was it like you were parading them out or parading your Well, grave? there was that. I would consider them to be myself and Donna's memories um, and to put them on public. But this kind of brought a lot of stuff back and seeing everything all come back together again was pulled on the heart a bit all right, you know. It was, um, but sure, you know, it's good as, it's good as well. I'm glad we did it. I've seen the masks, the dead masks here. The exhibition hasn't been opened officially yet, but already members of the public are wandering in. It's fascinating, mm. absolutely fascinating. And when you heard it was about death, what did you think? I was reluctant, but it's part of everybody's life, I suppose. Mm. So. I just, it's something I've always been interested in. I was always a bit of a goth growing up and interested in the right. things like this, you know. And as well as that, I mean, we are all... I'm going to die eventually anyway, you know. So it doesn't scare you? No, it doesn't. I'm not frightened of death. It sounds like something out of a Pink Floyd album, what I just said there, doesn't it? I'm not frightened of death. I suppose I'm interested in the topic of death. Are you? Yes. Yeah, in a good way or in a...? <laughs> oh, in a good way. Um, oh. I'm a Buddhist, so it's kind of... It's always part of, I suppose, what we look at with our practice, you know, okay. living and dying. Finally, time for the launch and Sinead and Katie are beaming. Sinead and I have gone home, we've put on our finery and we come in and there's loads of people there. It's a lovely, warm May evening. There's just this lovely sense of um, celebration and fun, people on the street and taking photographs of the coffin and people inviting people to come in and come in to see this and you never saw this bit and things like that. There's great chatter going on. I'm delighted that there's such a huge crowd here and everyone is, is very welcome and everyone, I'm delighted that you've turned up. Uh, my name is Sinead Deneen and this is Katie Verlin and we uh, conceived this idea, um, Kicking the Bucket, because we both actually have um, chronic illnesses. And when you have a chronic well, illness... we don't look it. No, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> there's no doubt that what Sinead and Katie did was unsettling. However much we Irish seem comfortable with death, there was something about the way they dabbled with grief and dying that at times seemed too bold and too irreverent. But then, as was said during the workshops, how you approach death looks after those you leave behind. The table you set is the food they are going to eat. for being here tonight and supporting us. Thank you very much. And at the opening of the exhibition, Katie and Sinead were delighted at the table they had helped set. Sinead and I just kind of looked at each other and said, when are we going to do the next one? 